All right, here we go. Welcome back in defense of the Big 12. We are live on Twitch. Tyler McComas and Brad Kellner talking Big 12 football for the next hour. I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. BK is in Austin, Texas. And man, I feel like throughout this entire recording, I'm going to have to like scroll Twitter and check Twitter. I didn't expect yesterday afternoon to be when all this massive news dropped, the ACC, the SEC rumors that are coming out of there. But as we're doing this, Brad, like who knows what's going to break over the course of the next 45 minutes. So I'm going to have to check, man. Yeah, man. It feels like the start of NBA free agency where you're just constantly checking Twitter, looking for Woj bombs, looking for Shams tweets, looking for updates all the time. I mean, you and I both work afternoon radio. So you're two to six up in Norman. I'm three to seven central time here in Austin. And outside of like maybe the first day of this pandemic, and then national signing days that we deal with every year for college football. I don't know if I've ever had a show with as much breaking news as we had yesterday, right? With the SEC, the ACC, we had some Major League Baseball stuff with the Dodgers punishments being handed out with what happened between them and the Strohs down in H-Town the other night. Uh, Texas, actually Anthony Cook, who had entered the transfer portal about a month ago, he withdrew his name from the transfer portal yesterday, so... We had breaking news left and right. It was one of the craziest days in my sports radio career. Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons why I hope this SEC report is untrue, that they're going to go to a conference-only schedule. The report is that the ADs voted conference-only for the SEC yesterday, and I guess the presidents are supposed to vote today. Maybe they're doing that right now as we're recording. But one of the first things I thought of, man, I um, in, in terms of my college football bucket list, going to Death Valley – would easily be in the top three, if not number one. And BK, just for your sake alone, I hope that this report is untrue because mm-hmm. even if you wouldn't be able to get to go to the game or not, I'd love for you to at least get to be in Baton Rouge for that Texas LSU game in September. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm crushed. I mean, I've kind of been expecting this over the last couple of months, right? I was holding out hope that the game would happen, but I figured the odds of me getting into Death Valley on September 12th would be slim. Still would have been awesome to go party with the Cajuns, right? Still go to Baton Rouge and see what that tailgating scene is like and just find somewhere uh, in Tiger country to watch the game. But, yeah, it's not looking likely, man. It's a huge bummer. It's a huge bummer for all of college football. I mean, Texas and LSU was probably the most marquee matchup uh, between the Big 12 and the SEC, but obviously Oklahoma was set to play Tennessee. You had Ole Miss and Baylor to start the year. Uh, a couple of other big-time games, too, between these two conferences and the non-con. So it definitely hurts, and obviously as a Texas fan and as a Texas grad, I was hoping for a shot at redemption, right, a shot at revenge sure. uh, because of what LSU did here in Austin last year. I actually felt better about Texas' chances this season, especially considering the potential lack of fans at Death Valley, right? I mean, if you could take away that incredible home field advantage that they have at LSU – I thought Texas, with all the experience coming back, and you know LSU's got so much turnover, 14 draft picks last year, and obviously losing both coordinators. They had so much to replace. I like Texas's chances to go out there and get a marquee victory at the start of the season. But, yeah, I'm hoping the news is false, but it seems like uh, we're headed in that direction where this game won't happen. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go with this report out of the SEC. I'm going to guess that by the end of today – We're going to hear – it's not going to be official, but we're going to hear a lot of stuff. I think that this is going to be another big breaking news day in terms of what the SEC decides, and it directly impacts the Big 12 because 
this really shapes what they can do in the non-conference portion of the schedule. So it was being reported last night that there's a few options on the table for the Big 12 right now to still play 12 games. And I don't know how you do that if the SEC is going to play conference only. You play nine conference games, or actually, I guess, 10 conference games adding BYU plus a non-conference game. And then you can um, you can go just all, all conference games, kind of like pretty much everybody else right now outside the ACC. So do you have a feeling one way or the other? It doesn't sound like we're going to find out Monday for Big 12 virtual media days. Do, do you have a feeling one way or the other of what the Big 12 schedule is going to look like when we find out probably sometime next week? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I, I figured the SEC would be the last conference to announce. Like, yeah. I wouldn't have been shocked if they waited until the day before the start of the college football season before they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cancel the non-conference games. And as of right now, the Big 12 is the only Power 5 conference that has yet to make a decision. You mentioned the ACC, what they decided yesterday – we know the Big Ten and the Pac-12 made up their minds a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I saw a quote from Bob Bowlesby yesterday who said he's going to present the presidents and the athletic directors in the Big 12 a few scheduling options. You mentioned what they are, right? They started the leak yesterday, but Bowlesby said he's going to present them on Monday. So maybe we'll have to wait until early next week to get an actual decision. Man, if I had to guess, I would guess the Big 12 is going to try to do what the ACC does. Right, You play your nine conference games, and then you do the plus one. And my biggest question is, you know, how, how is this going to work with the different number of games? Right, I mean, the Pac-12 has talked about playing a 10-game conference-only schedule. The SEC is leaning towards, reportedly leaning towards a 10-game conference schedule. But then you've got the ACC thinking they're going to wow. go 11 games. Obviously, the Big 12 only has 10 teams, so nine other games to play, like – in terms of leveling the playing field and trying to figure out a fair way to find a champion in college football this year, I am curious to see how that goes. So because of that, because I think college football is going to try to keep it as uniform as they possibly can, my guess is it'll be nine games plus the one non-con. We've got a comment already, Tyler, from uh, Brisket Tacos, and I, I tend to agree with this one a little bit. He says, under no circumstance – should Texas let BYU in the Big 12? Dude, I still have PTSD from those two games against Taysom Hill. Two ACLs, Taysom Hill is uh, still running. Down Dude, I hate that top. guy. I know he's like a great story in the NFL, and everybody seems to love him, and what he's doing for the Saints as a UDFA is spectacular. But, I mean, every Texas fan just has PTSD from that dude. And, yeah, it seems like he was the Perry Ellis of college football for Texas fans, right? It felt like that dude was there forever and uh, he torched Texas twice. So I'm not sure if Texas is going to be on board for that, but it is an interesting idea, right? I mean, independence, we saw Notre Dame join the ACC. BYU is out there. They're a reputable college football program. You presented that idea before the show to me. We hadn't talked about that too much in Austin, maybe because we knew our fans would hate that so much. But uh, that is an interesting proposal. And look, man, everything should be on the table right now. Hey, it's not like OU has fond memories of BYU either. First game ever at Cowboys Stadium in Arlington, BYU destroyed Sam Bradford's throwing shoulder right Forgot there. About that. Texas destroyed it again uh, about a little more than a month after that as well. So BYU might be down to join this league because last time they played Texas and <laughs> OU, things went pretty well for them. But I just – I mean, from a number standpoint, if like you really want to get to 11 games – Adding BYU for just one year makes sense. And, and really, BYU, I don't know how they're going to play a season yeah. 
If they don't get an invite from the Big 12 with all the Pac-12 games that have been canceled for them, I mean, they're going to have to play a really weak schedule. I, I'd be up for it for, for one year. Um, that gets you 10 conference games, and that gets you probably the one non-conference game that gets you to 11. I just but, – but the problem is – Notre Dame to the ACC, there was already a tie-in there, mm-hmm. and people were talking about it. I hear people on Twitter talk about BYU to the Big 12, but nobody in charge is talking about adding them to the league for one year. So doesn't matter if I think it's a good idea or not. I do think it's good for, for one year. You can help them out. I think you can help yourself out as well. But I, I don't think that this is a realistic option for the conference right now because they don't even seem to be discussing it. Yeah, I'm with you. And for the sake of helping each other out, I think it makes sense, right? It obviously helps BYU and it helps the Big 12 get to 10 games. But where it doesn't make sense is the travel. I mean, it's already bizarre that West Virginia is in this conference in terms of travel. But because of the pandemic, we're trying to limit travel as much as we possibly can. So I think what makes more sense is doing the nine conference games and playing a regional 10th game, right? Texas already has UTEP on the schedule in week three. So maybe keep that game. We don't know what the G5 conferences are doing, right? They have yet to make any announcements. So as of right now, any Big 12 versus G5 game that's on the schedule, that can still happen. Something like that makes sense to me. Even if it's an FCS school, you've got to play like just doing that one non-conference game as a regional team, right? Some Oklahoma State school, maybe Tulsa for OU, or a team like that just to keep things close and try to limit travel as much as possible. I think that's more on the table and probably should be more on the table uh, for the Big 12. Yeah, the the OU-Tennessee game, Texas-LSU game, like we're talking about, they're in serious jeopardy right now. Um, I'm going to guess by the end of today, again, that we find out that those games aren't going to take place. I think OU's one non-conference game, if that's what the Big 12 decides next week. I still think it's going to be against Bobby Petrino and Missouri State in week zero. Like, yeah. OU is bound and determined, man, to play that Missouri State game on week zero. Now, I, I think that there's some there's some strategy involved in that. I think that they moved that up to week zero so they could start camp this Saturday, which, mm. they're, going, which they're going to do, which is smart. If you play week zero, you yeah. can start camp earlier than what you normally do. So I think that they're going to keep that Missouri State game um, doesn't look like they're going to go to Army. Of course, we talked about the Tennessee game. I just wonder what a school like Texas is going to do. If the Big 12 says, okay, you can play one non-conference game. Do you play South Florida or do you throw a bone to UTEP in your own state? Yeah. I mean, eventually, you're going to have to uh, you're gonna have to choose at some point, that, right? That's a good question, right? And after the OU Missouri State news dropped last week, which I thought was great news, right? And it and it makes sense. Like maybe calling this ironic is is the wrong thing to do because Lincoln Riley has been seemingly at the forefront in terms of coaches or voices in this conference of just trying to keep his players safe, right? I mean, when the Big 12 said, you know, June 15th, that's the day voluntary workouts can begin, Lincoln Riley was like, that's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Like we got to wait this thing out a little bit before we get our guys back on campus. A little bit of irony that Oklahoma is the first team to move their week one game up, but obviously it's in the effort of keeping players safe and giving them more time in between week one and week two and giving buys after the first couple of weeks of the season. So, so that made sense. You know, I was before the news dropped yesterday, I was suggesting Texas, maybe call South Florida and try to do the same thing, right? Move the game up a week, move it to week zero, move it to the end of August. Number one, because of the reasons 
Oklahoma is doing it, right? Try to keep your players safe. And just in case there's some sort of breakout or something happens during that first game, you've got 14 days to get your guys right before your next game against LSU. Number two, I wouldn't mind an extra week to prepare for the defending champ. So that was uh, that was a suggestion I had had. Who knows if that's going to happen? And yeah, my guess is, Tyler, to answer your question, if the Big 12 did decide on just doing nine conference games in the one non-conference game, my guess is they'd keep UTEP on the schedule, right? For the sake of yeah. travel and for the sake of, you know, throwing a bone to an in-state school and a school that's part of the University of Texas system, right? University of Texas at Austin, University of Texas at El Paso. That would be my guess uh, for the one non-conference game that remains since LSU is off the table, right? Before yesterday, I thought, okay, if the Big 12 was going to do nine plus one, I figured Texas would say, sorry, South Florida, sorry, UTEP, we're playing LSU, some marquee game. We got a chance to bolster our resume, get a huge win, and that would just be huge for our program. But because of what dropped yesterday, I would guess UTEP is the non-con game that stays. Well, yeah, I mean, regardless who it is, I think Texas would be smart to move it to week zero because as of right now, you really got two choices in week zero. You can watch OU Missouri State, which by the way, that's, that is scheduled to be a pay-per-view game. That could <laughs> still be a pay-per-view game in week zero. I know we're all really starved for football, but is anybody going to pay $39.99 or $49.99 for OU Missouri State if you're not an OU or Missouri State fan? Hey, I, I might. I might. I mean, might. I'll probably use a Reddit stream, uh, I'll go. be honest, to, to pay $0. But, man, you can bet I'll be finding a way to watch that game if it does happen. My question to you is, so, like, what would happen if the Big 12 comes out on Monday and says we're doing the 9 plus 1? Like, do you think OU could still – I know the NCAA already approved it, but you think OU could still play that week zero game and then have, what, three weeks off before the first I, conference game? I, I think I think the fact that they've already moved it there and the NCAA said they're good with it, yeah, I think that that's exactly what would happen. I yeah. think that you would have, like it, – it, I mean, obviously, it, it would be uncharted waters, but you, you play that game and then almost have another mini camp, mini, mini camp, yeah. you know – before you play Baylor to open up conference play. But again, real quick, before um, before we move on here, Texas would be smart to move to week zero because, again, your options are OU Missouri State, maybe pay-per-view, or like Marshall and East Carolina. So if it's Texas, South Florida, that's like the primetime game of week zero, which would mean a pretty yeah. decent TV window and a pretty de- decent TV payout for how starved we are going to be with college football in week zero. But, but yes, to answer your question – um, I, I, I think OU's bound and determined to play on August 29th for sure. Another possibility that's being thrown out there is maybe the Big 12 plays 10 conference games without BYU and every team just doubles up with somebody else, which there's going to be some some upset people on that. Like the yeah. idea was thrown out that you just play in-state schools. I think OU would be pissed if they have to play Oklahoma State twice, once in Norman, once in Stillwater. I don't know how much you've seen that idea, but I don't think the idea of doubling up, you know, playing one team twice in a, you know, kind of a home and home thing is, is very realistic at this point. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that should happen, right? I mean, that's just, it's unfair, you know, like uh, Oklahoma having to play Oklahoma State twice would be tough. I don't know what Texas would do. I mean, I guess you got four, four schools in the state of Texas, so you would uh, pair up one of Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, and Baylor. I don't know how you'd find a way to do that. But my guess is that's probably the least likely scenario of what happens. 
I, I would think they would do the plus one system, right? The nine conference plus the one non-conference over that. But that obviously would make for some interesting scenarios. And a lot of people, hell, the Big 12 media, the preseason poll had Oklahoma number one, Oklahoma State number two. Uh, that means we could have three matchups, three bedlams in one year, Tyler. Could you imagine? Uh, knowing the way that rivalry is gone, that'd probably be three wins for OU. But we could have three bedlams in one year if that proposal were to come to fruition. I, I just think that's uh, unrealistic. Uh, it would it would probably be three wins for OU and by a combined score of like 356 to 354. <laughs> something like that. Oh, that's not mathematically possible. Brisket tacos, by the way, wants UMass. There we go. Hey, that's an easy win for everybody. I don't think any Big 12 school should turn that down. Now, you know, for the whole sake of travel, that probably doesn't make sense. But hey, you'll take uh, any free win you can get. That'll give KU a win, man. They need uh, they need all the W's they could get. Speaking of Kansas, we should mention before we move on, they also moved their week one game up to week zero. So they were scheduled to play Delaware. Excuse me. They were scheduled to play New Hampshire in week one. It's the same thing. Uh, yeah. Uh, an FCS school out of the CAA, but the CAA canceled all fall sports. So Kansas had to find a new week one opponent. Uh, they said they settled on Southern Illinois, who Kansas has actually played four times, I think, uh, in the last 10 to 20 years. They scheduled on Southern Illinois and they moved that game up to week zero. So as of right now, I know not a lot of Kansas football fans are probably watching this podcast, but got to give some love to all the big 12 schools. As of right now, we have two Big 12 games, or at least te- games with Big 12 teams being played on August 29th, Kansas, Southern Illinois, and of course the OU uh, Missouri State game that you were talking about. Yeah, well, um, when we come back on the air on Monday, we're going to be on this broadcast right smack dab in the middle of Big 12 virtual media day, which I, I really thought that Monday was going to be our day to find out what the Big 12 is doing. Here's their schedule. Here's their non-conference games. Here's how it's going to set up. But you mentioned Bob Bowlesby's kind of report from yesterday or his text to the Athletic, I think it was. I mean, the way that it was worded, I don't feel like we're going to hear something solid on Monday unless things change. They're not. I mean, reportedly, they're not going to look at that schedule, the four to five schedules they're looking at, till like Monday after the virtual Big 12 media days are over. Yeah, you know, I, I'm cool with that. I, I would love to have an answer. I think we all would love to have an answer, but that's just what this pandemic has been, man. We don't have answers. And I'm cool with giving yourself as much time as possible to make the right decision. I don't know if there is a right decision, right? A 100% right decision. We're just trying to make the rightest decision right now. It's the Argo principle, right? The best bad idea that you can come up with. That's what this pandemic is, whether it's planning sports whether it's running a business. Like, I don't know how many good ideas there truly are out there. You're just looking for the best bad idea, right? That allows you, number one, to keep your student athletes as safe as possible. And number two, to try to create as normal of a college football season as you possibly have. It's it's way easier to cancel stuff at the last minute than replan stuff at the last minute. I mean, we're so close to the start of the season. What are we, 30? 30, 30 days away? 31 days well, away? Yeah, I mean, it, yesterday was exactly a month until OU's yeah. supposed to play against Missouri State. So, so I yeah. think, uh, yeah, 30 days away from OU and Missouri State and that Kansas game. So it, it's very unrealistic to think we're going to have some major change with this pandemic over the next 30 days. We were all hopeful, you know, three or four months ago that maybe we'd be further along in this process by now. But it, it's way easier to just cancel stuff at the last minute than 
have to scramble and reset things up. So I'm cool. Like I was a little disappointed. I mean, it's hard to say that because these decisions are being made in the best interest of keeping 18 to 22 year old kids safe. Like that, that should be priority number one, two, and three throughout this whole thing. But I was a little upset that the big 10 and the PAC 12 made their decisions as early as possible. Cause it's like, just wait, just give yourself as much time as you can get as much information as you possibly can. So you can make the best decision. I'm cool with the Big 12 doing that, man. I'm cool with waiting uh, as long as possible to try to make the best decision possible. We'll get back to some of the scheduling stuff just to break it up a little bit and and really talk about some football here. You mentioned Anthony Cook. Looks like he's going to take his name out of the transfer portal and come back to UT this year. I think he was listed as their starting spur maybe on one of the preseason magazines that I read. Uh, Big deal, non-factor that Anthony Cook's coming back to UT. Oh, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I mean, this secondary was really bad last year. The sixth worst sixth worst pass defense in all of college football a season ago. Texas gave up more points in the fourth quarter than any team in college football last year. The defense was terrible. I mean, Todd Orlando was fired. You've got seven new assistant coaches all over the coaching staff. Things did not work out at all. So, you know, the secondary was terrible, and you already lost Kobe Boyce, who announced a couple of weeks ago that he was stepping away from football to focus on his mental health. We wish him all the best, but Texas needs as much help in the secondary as they can possibly get, and they've got some returning experience. Now, once again, those guys weren't very good last year, but the hope is with Chris Ash's new defensive scheme, with the new secondary coach and Jay Valai, these guys can right the ship, and, and we know These are talented kids. I mean, Texas, as bad as the Longhorns have been for the last decade, they're still bringing in top 10 recruiting classes year in and year out. Uh, They're still bringing in four and five star kids at just about every position. So they've got some talented kids in the secondary. Jalen Green, a returning starter. Deshaun Jameson, who was preseason all Big 12, a returning starter. And obviously, Caden Stearns, a freshman All American a couple of years ago at safety. BJ Foster, a stud at safety. Texas has a lot back. And and one of the good things, and there weren't many good things for the Longhorns in 2019, but one of the silver linings with all the injuries that Texas had and all of the youth and inexperience that Texas had to put out on the field last year, especially in the secondary, those guys got some playing time. Those guys got some experience. So now the Longhorns feel like they have a little bit more depth without Anthony Cook and without Kobe Boyce. The thought was, all right, maybe you're losing some of that depth and you're going to need some young guys to step up again. But getting Anthony Cook back, I know he's underachieved. I know he's underperformed. He hasn't lived up to the high four-star, and even some sites had him as a five-star corner coming out of Houston Lamar a couple of years ago. But he's still got a lot of talent, and I still have hope that he can be an important piece for this Texas team. Not sure if he's going to start at Spur. Uh, There's been a lot of buzz about Chris Adamora, who's entering year two on the 40 acres. Like, I don't know how this happened, Tyler, but without spring football, and without summer activities, somehow Chris Adamora seemed to have supplanted Anthony Cook on the Texas depth chart even before Cook entered the transfer portal. So that was part of the reason I thought why Cook might have entered the transfer portal, right? Maybe the coaches don't like him that much. Maybe he's not projected to be a starter this year. And he's a guy, I don't know if you remember this, but when he made his decision uh, at the Under Armour All-America game, he said for the next three years, I'm going to be playing at the University of Texas. Well, this is year three. And I figured, well, he's hearing that he might not start in year three when he expected to probably be a first or second round pick after this year. Uh, Maybe that's why he wants to get out. So it's good news that he's coming back. Texas needs all the help it can get at secondary. 
even if Anthony Cook doesn't start, dude, you can't have enough secondary pieces with all the talented quarterbacks, with all the offensive-minded head coach in this conference. You need all the help that you can get. So I think it is uh, pretty big news for you today. I'm about to give you a hot take on uh, Lincoln Riley, but before that, OU kind of has been, there's been a running joke, right, of like Derek King. Well, Derek King's entering in the transfer portal. How long until he signs with Oklahoma as their next starting quarterback? Well, I'm starting to make that joke a little bit about TCU. I mean, God, if somebody is transferring from a program, whether it's LSU's former five-star defensive player, Nebraska's leading receiver from last year, which, by the way, when I saw that TCU was getting Nebraska's leading receiver from last year, I thought, oh, cool, he probably had eight catches for 56 yards. (laughs) But, dude, TCU is like, transfer you this year and – quietly through the portal, they may have assembled, assembled a pretty good football team here. Yeah, and they also picked up, uh, what, Zach Evans, the running yes, back. Uh, yep. Some people had him as the number one running back in the country out of Galena Park, North Shore. He had one of the craziest recruitments that I've ever seen since covering college football. I mean, that guy was linked to a 100 different schools and whatever. He ends up at TCU. He's an all-world talent. Maybe a little bit of a head case, but some people think he's going to get some significant playing time in Fort Worth in year one because they lost Alana Lua. They lost Darius Anderson to the NFL. There might be some snaps at running back for Zach Evans. So yeah, man, I mean, you can never count TCU out. I know they're coming off a very disappointing five and seven season. Uh, Max Duggan looked terrible at times last year. He did have some good moments and I think he'll be a lot better in year two. But you can never count a TCU team out. And I think it's important to note that the last two times Gary Patterson failed to reach a bowl game, the Horn Frogs won double-digit games the following wow. season. And last time they played the Big 12 championship game with Kenny Trill, obviously lost to you guys, uh, Oklahoma, in that game. But uh, Gary Patterson is very, very good at the bounce-back year. And that defense is ridiculously loaded. They've got the best safety tandem, not only in the conference, but I think in all of college football and Trayvon Morgan, our Darius Washington, Garrett Wallow, one of the better linebackers in the country, uh, preseason, all Big 12 player. The defensive line, they lost a couple of guys, including Ross Blacklock, to the Texans in the draft. But, I mean, I trust Gary Patterson to get a good defense going. They've got some players, man. If Max Duggan can take a step this year, like he doesn't have to be great. He doesn't have to be what an Oklahoma quarterback has been. He doesn't have to be what Sam Ellinger has been. If he's just an above-average player this year – I think TCU's got a shot to maybe crash the Big 12 party, but at worst, win win themselves eight or nine games. News comes out this week that Lincoln Riley signed an extension way back in February. He is one of the six highest paid head coaches in all of college football. He is the highest paid head coach in the Big 12 right now. His average salary through 2025 is going to be $7.5 million. And here's the hot take. Lincoln Riley has already won 36 games through his first three years. The all-time winningest head coach at Oklahoma is Bob Stoops. He won 190 football games. The take is this. By the time it's all said and done, Lincoln Riley will pass Bob Stoops as the all-time winningest head coach at Oklahoma. Now, I don't think Lincoln Riley will be the best head coach in OU history. That is reserved for Barry Switzer. That is reserved for Bud Wilkinson. That is reserved for Bob Stoops. I would actually project that Lincoln Riley finishes fourth in that because Mm. our fearless leader Chris Landry has said multiple times both on my radio show and other radio shows that maybe Lincoln can win one with the way that he's constructed a football team 
but they don't have the big war daddies that Clemson has, that Alabama has, that Ohio State has. It's 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 his style of play is big points, big offense, shootouts, and that's not necessarily constructive to winning a national championship, which which I agree on. But think of the landscape of this conference right now. Essentially, Lincoln Riley is going to have to beat average West Virginia and Iowa State and Kansas and Kansas State and Texas. and Well, not Texas. Texas can get back, and, I, and I'm sure at some point they will. But Baylor and TC, like, you get my point, yeah. is that it's going to be easy to acquire 190 wins if he stays at Oklahoma for another 15 years because the conference is so so bad on most years, you know? Yeah, that was uh, as good of news as that was for Oklahoma fans, that Lincoln-Riley extension. That was equally as bad for Texas fans and for fans of the other eight teams in this conference, right? Because Lincoln-Riley has been as good as you could possibly be since taking over in Norman. Three years, three Big 12 titles, three college football playoff appearances. He's picked up right where Bob Stoops has left off and has been maybe even better, at least uh, to start things. You know... I disagree with Lincoln Riley going down as the fourth best head coach in OU football history. Now, this could all change, right? I mean, maybe Lincoln Riley at some point will want to go to the NFL. He's 36 years old, right? So he signs this contract extension for the next five seasons, right, through 2025. And for a lot of college football coaches, you're like, oh, man, he's going to be there for life. Dude, Lincoln Riley is going to be 41 when that Mm -hmm. extension is over. Now, I'm sure he'll get another extension if he wants it, but at some point, right, maybe he'll want to go to the NFL. I know NFL teams have come calling, and he's turned them down over the last couple of years, but, like, maybe, yeah, he'll get out of Norman before he has a chance to to break Bob Stoops' record and to go down as one of the top three coaches in Oklahoma history. But, man, there there, there are two things that, that, uh, that I disagree with. Number one, I think Oklahoma can win a national championship with the style of football they play. I mean, your defense can't be as bad as what Mike Stoops was bringing to the table. Like, you have to have an average defense. But, dude, that's what football is now. It ain't defense wins championships anymore. Look at what the Chiefs did. I know it's a little apples to oranges, NFL to college football, but the Chiefs won with offense. Their defense stepped up, and they played well enough. And you have to have some players, right? I mean, Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark. Like, you have to have some dudes and a quality enough defense. But, man, if you can score – That's the name of the game in college football. And I will take to my grave, this is as a Texas fan, a Texas grad, I will take to my grave that Oklahoma was the best team in college football uh, the year they lost to Georgia in the Rose Bowl national semifinal. Like Baker Mayfield has had that back injury that a lot of people didn't talk about that didn't really make national news. But I know he was hurt. I could tell he was hurt watching in real time. Oklahoma people I talked to told me that he was dealing with something. And it was obvious that Lincoln Riley changed his play calling in the second half and took the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. Now, maybe that was Lincoln Riley having to learn, you know, his first year as head coach, having to learn some things, right? How to play in a game that big, how to deal with the lead against a team like that. But, man, I think Oklahoma was the best team in the country that year, number one. And number two, I mean, I'm a big fan of Alex Grinch. Like, I think he's a huge upgrade over Mike Stoops. We saw that last year. Now, I know the college football playoff game did not go well, but, dude, LSU was one of the best teams in the history of college football. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's not going to be a team that good every year. There's no chance. I mean, they God, ran through not. Clemson. Yeah, exactly. They ran through Clemson last year, too. I mean, they, they were just dominant. They were ridiculous. 
that shouldn't be like another one of those, ah, OU's defense sucks, they can't get it done on the big stage. And by the way, speaking of LSU, what did they win with last year? They won with offense. Yeah. Their defense, statistically, very average. Like one of the worst LSU defenses statistically they've had in the last decade. Like you can win championships in the sport of football regardless of what level if you can put up points. So I wouldn't count Oklahoma out. Now, I don't think this is the year they do it, but I mean, to say Lincoln Riley, the way he builds teams can't win a championship in college football. I think it's way too early to say that, number one. And I think the sport of college football is going in a direction that actually favors Lincoln Riley. You you could be right. And, and I'll say this, they're going to have to have quarterback play, I think, to do it. That's as good as what Kyler and Baker gave you. I, I don't think like what you got last year with Jalen Hurts, you could have won a national championship. You're going to have to have exceptional quarterback play to to get over the hump. And what makes it tough, man, is now Clemson's got elite quarterback play. And maybe they didn't five, six years ago. Bama's got elite quarterback play. They really didn't five years ago. Ohio State, Justin Fields, I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. So those other schools who were maybe more relying on defense now have elite offenses, now have elite quarterback play. So, But, yeah, I mean, if OU continues to get legendary play at that spot, they're going to be in um, in every single football game for sure. we got about 10 minutes left. I don't know how much recruiting we're really going to talk about during the season. According to 247 Sports, Texas class is ranked 12th right now. OU's is 13th. Oklahoma State all the way back at 50th. Uh, Texas fans feel pretty good about this class, or where, where are things at right now with 2020? You know, Chris and I talked about it on Monday. The Rocker Myers announcement hurt yeah. a lot. Now, I don't blame them at all, right? I mean, Alabama is turning four and five star, regularly turning four and five star recruits into NFL players. They're doing it better than anybody in the country. And it's no surprise that Texas is not doing a good job of that, right? Talent. Intake has not been an issue for the Longhorns over the last decade. It's been talent development that has been the problem with UT. So as much as that Brocker Myers decision hurt, I think most Texas fans understood it. Like that's just where the program is at right now. And you got to prove it to recruits on the recruiting trail that, hey, we're competitive at the college level. Number one, we're winning games in the fall. And number two, we're putting you in the best possible position to be successful at the next level. So that one hurt. This is a historically good offensive line class in the state of Texas, talking about the class of 2021. And right now, Texas is not doing a very good job in terms of offensive linemen. So that's uh, that's causing some concern, but yeah, people are okay. I mean, we still got what, five months or so to the early signing period. Texas is going to have a top 10, maybe top 15 class at the worst. Uh, it's it's kind of amazing, you know, as bad as Texas has been and as disappointing as they are and as many times as they fail to live up to the preseason expectations that they still can recruit as well as they can. Uh, you'd think at some point that, that the lack of success is going to impact the recruiting trail. It hasn't really happened yet. So Texas will be fine. They're still going to end up with a top 10 or 15 class and one of the top two classes in the Big 12. Yeah, uh, like I said, OU's 13th, and I think that there's a pretty positive vibe right now around this class. Um, Kendall Daniels, who is a really good player in their own backyard in the state of Oklahoma, sounds like he might go to Texas A&M. He's going to announce on the first, so that's not going to yeah. have a whole lot of people you know, really happy that they're going to let another big-time prospect from the state of Oklahoma get out of state. But Kamar Wheaton, 
Five-star running back. I think OU fans still feel pretty good about that. You think he got another chance for another big-time five-star wide receiver. But, uh, yeah, still need more help on the defensive side of the ball, and I think that they got a couple targets out there um, that, that hopefully they can get. I was looking at Oklahoma State's recruiting class yesterday, and it's it's ranked 50th, sixth in the Big 12. And it's, like, loaded with wide receivers. I think they had, like, three or four wide receivers and, like, two athletes on there. It's like huh. – they do not try to hide who they are, man. It's like defense be damned, whatever. We're going to just load up on skill players every year and man. try to find the next Justin Blackman, James Washington, and uh, Marcel Aitman and all the other good uh, wide receiver play they've had. Hey, this conference needs more wide receivers, which is weird to say, right? I can't remember the last time I've said that about the Big 12, but we were talking about it last week, just looking at the preseason all-conference team, like the fact that Kansas has a wide receiver on there. No disrespect to Andrew Parchment. He's a pretty decent player, but that guy started his college career at Northern Illinois, and he's played one year at Kansas, and he didn't even crack 1,000 yards. Like, how is that guy on the all-Big 12 receivers team? And then you've got Charleston Rambo at Oklahoma, who you know had a pretty good year last year, and I think he's going to be a hell of a player. I think his numbers are only going to go up this year without C.D. Lamb uh, up there in Norman. But, yeah, this, uh, this conference, for the first time in forever – is actually at a little bit of a loss in terms of proven wide receiver talent. So I'm glad Oklahoma State is uh, is doing its part to make sure we've got skill position players galore in this league. And that's uh, that's what Mike Gundy's always done, man. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I'm curious to see how the rest of that recruiting class shakes out and how recruiting goes for Baylor, right? How, how Dave Aranda does with his first full cycle. This is just, I mean, Tyler, this is the weirdest year of recruiting ever right? Because nobody can take any visits right now. And hell, we don't know if there's going to be a high school football season. I know right now, most states, including the state of Texas and Oklahoma are planning on having a high school football season, but who knows how that's going to shake out. And who knows if coaches are going to be able to travel and be allowed to go watch these kids in person this year. We've seen a record number of early commitments because I think a lot of guys are just like, well, if I got an offer from Texas, if I got an offer from OU, I'm just going to take it. I'm going to take it right now because that might be the best I get. I might not get another opportunity to prove myself. I might not have other coaches be able to come watch my games. This might be as good as it gets. So I'm going to commit right now and make sure I'm a part of this class next year. Uh, We're seeing a record number of early commitments. And who knows how the rest of this recruiting cycle is going to shake out. But it's already been weirder than uh, just about any other one we've ever had. By the way, if uh, you're watching us in defense of the Big 12 right here on the Landry Football Network, I'm excited to listen to shows like uh, SEC Gumbo and all the other conference-affiliated podcasts that we have because, again, I think that uh, more reports are going to drop tonight about the SEC, so I'll be really interested to, to, to hear their take on it and, and what it means for everybody. I've uh, Boy, I can't believe I'm admitting this. I've never really paid attention before to the Billy Lucci Twitter page, but uh, I guess i got to do that today. <laughs> Come Lucci, on, man. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. Why are you doing that, man? Come on. You can get your information from somewhere else. Source, man. It's not true until uh, Lucci down there in uh, College Station breaks yeah, it. But I, 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 I just made the assumption. You think we're going to hear a lot more here in the next few hours about how it's going to drop down in college football, how it's going to yeah. go down? I think we will. Uh, I I think the SEC in a perfect world would hold off on their announcement till next week, but it's the age of social media, man. Everything leaks all the time. Like one of these 
university presidents is going to spill the beans to somebody and one of these college football and reporters is going to tweet out what's going on. So I think your hunch is right. I, I do think we'll get an announcement, whether it's official from the conference or not. I think we'll have something even stronger than what we had from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated yesterday that really hints to, okay, this is what the SEC is going to do. They're going to go conference only 10 games. Um, I mean, we, we're going to have to really tune in to this Big 12 virtual media day on Monday. Is it is it going to be a train wreck with guys like Les Miles trying to operate Zoom and everything? Oh, I mean, because there's man. always one guy in the Zoom meeting that doesn't know what the hell's going on. And he acted weird enough last year at Big 12 media day. It was it was really, really weird. I, I mean, not to make fun, I hope Les is all there. But at times it's like, God, he's like, He's like a step behind from where he used to be. I Les Miles has got to be most likely to screw up this Zoom thing on Monday. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that at all. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Unless Mike Gundy wears another OAN shirt or something <laughs> like that. That could uh, create some problems. But, yeah, I, there were times when Les was at LSU where I was like, does this dude have all of his marbles? Like, what, what's going on in that head up there? And he's also eating grass on the sideline. Like, is this guy uh, – is he like one of us or is he uh, something else? Yeah, I mean – I. I don't know. I don't know. Les Miles is just an interesting cat. I think your hunch is probably right. He's he's the oldest coach in this conference now, now that Bill Snyder's gone, right? No one's uh, – he's the eldest statesman in this conference. He has to be. Got to be, right? Got to be. Yeah, and it's probably not that close. I don't know how old Gary Patterson is off the top of my head, which, by the way, I wonder if he'll try to play acoustic guitar. I wonder if Gary Patterson's going to be like the guy at the college party who always brings his guitar and just wants to play for everybody. Now that he's putting out like, songs and everything like that, I, I have a feeling that he's going to force that on everybody. You really don't care how good he is at guitar, but he's going to force it on everybody on Monday and start playing. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna try to pull up that song real quick. I actually kind of like that song, dude. Take, Take that, that back. back. That's quality. And we had uh, Earl Campbell, the great Earl Campbell, legendary lifetime Longhorn. He came on uh, our morning show on the Horn in Austin and unannounced, uninvited, he gave a shout out to Gary Patterson. Like nice. the guys were wrapping up the interview, and he's like, "Hey, have y'all heard that song from the TCU head coach up there?" And they're like, "What?" And Earl Campbell was like praising it. He's like, "Yeah, I love it. That's a great song. That's a great song. It is kind of catchy. I can't lie." So if uh, if Gary Patterson does bring out the guitar and a couple of changes of shirts and pants. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to have too much of an issue, man. That's on brand for him. Uh, last thing, I'm going to guess nine conference games, one non-conference game for the Big 12 when it's announced. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, there's a couple of other options on the table. We talked about them a little bit earlier. So uh, shout out to those of you who are watching this on LandryFootball.com. We'll put the podcast up there. Uh, there's a couple of other options out there, but I think that's the most likely scenario, right? Ten games makes the most sense. That seems to be what the other Power Five conferences are trying to do. ACC is 11 games. We know that. But I think you're going to have to at least get to double digits. So my guess would be nine Big 12 games and try to play someone regionally close to you for that 10th and that one and only non-conference game. By the way, to wrap it up on this, go check out LandryFootball.com for all the conference-specific podcasts we have and all the great football info that is at LandryFootball.com as well. He's Brad Kellner. I'm Tyler McComas. Until next Monday at 10 a.m. Central, it's in defense of the Big 12.